Like Lauren said, my name is Jaden. I'm excited to be bringing the Word of God to you today. If you've been with us, you know that we've been in the book of Colossians. We're spending seven weeks in it, diving into what Paul had for the church of Colossae. Last week, Pardee downtown and, and Fani on campus emphasized the supremacy of Jesus. And this section that we're going into today is just piggybacking right off of that. So it's still all about Christ alone. The only way to have a full and rich spiritual life is through Christ. So Paul is writing to this diverse church in Colossae. And just so you know, the city itself was really diverse in ethnicity, but also in spirituality too. So we had these ethnic Jews at the time who had grown up to be Jews, and then you had your Gentiles, and you even had your, your mix of Greeks and those who were more in your mystic religions as well. So there was this, this big breadth of different spiritualities happening in Colossae. And the church itself was under pressure to bring in some of those different spiritualities into the church. And so that's why Paul had mentioned the supremacy of Jesus, because it's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's none of the extra stuff that they were having pressure to bring in. And so there was these old Jewish customs. They were saying you need to be eating a kosher diet, you need to get circumcised if you're really going to follow Jesus. And then the others were saying you need to be worshiping Zeus and Apollos and do, practicing magic. And Paul's just saying, nope, it's just about worshiping Jesus. And for us here in the United States, I, I looked at some research, research studies, and 75% of people in America identify as being spiritual. And a majority of people also agree that they have a soul. 28% of people said that the pandemic actually boosted their religious faith or spiritual questions. And 58% of people worldwide are interested in living a more spiritual life. So that's, even, that's more than half. And I would contend that you're here today because you're someone who would identify with that in some capacity. Maybe this is your first time at church, or maybe you've been for a while, and you're somebody who wants to grow spiritually or experience something spiritually. Spirituality is on the rise in America. In 1998, 18.5% of people identified as more spiritual than religious. That number today is over 35%. So people are more and more interested in spirituality. So I think we relate to the Church of Colossae in, in at least that regard, that our city is interested in what's spiritual. So Paul here in this text, he's continuing to emphasize this need for some spiritual authority in our lives. Paul's suffering in, in a Roman prison, and it brings him joy because his proclamation of Jesus is stirring something in people. And so he's going to explain to us what his mission is, and he's going to go on to share the hope of Jesus is in all of those following Jesus in the church. And he's going to share his mission and how to fight off deceptive teaching of spirituality. So our big idea for today is this. Spiritual maturity only comes from having Jesus as Lord. So if we want to become spiritually mature, the only way we can do that is having Jesus as the king of our lives. So as we open up this text and dive in, let's go ahead and pray for just a moment and ask for God to speak to us here as we all hope to see what it looks like to grow to be more spiritually mature. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for you sending Christ, Lord. We're so thankful for the gift of salvation that we have in him. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, if we're just spiritually curious or if we've been following you for a long time, or if even we're being deceived, Lord, I pray that your truth would speak to us, Lord. Lord, I just pray that we would open up our hearts to what is true and what you have for us this morning. And then we pray. Amen. 
Okay, Blake did a great job reading the whole passage for us. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to break it up into three different sections, and we're going to see what God has for us in this. So here we're going to be in the first part. It's Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. If you've got your Bible, you can open it there. If you need a Bible, if you look right in front of you in the pews, that's our gift to you. So if you don't have a Bible, please take that. So here we are in verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." So point one is this, suffering is an active display of the gospel. Suffering is an active display of the gospel. See, when we're walking with Jesus, suffering is not defeat. As Paul shares here, he actually rejoices in his suffering. And this suffering that Paul experienced, it wasn't just arbitrary. He didn't just suffer to suffer. He didn't do it for himself. He didn't do it for his own holiness, his own spiritual growth, or his own perfection like a monk or a monastic would do. He was doing it for the church, and he says it right there. See, Paul uses that word mystery twice. You'll notice that. It says that the mystery of the gospel had been kept hidden for ages. That word mystery is just a truth that can only be known by revelation. And Paul clarifies here that it was a mystery, but God has revealed it. He has disclosed it. And the hope of glory is Christ in you, which is that mystery. So if you're walking with the Lord, you have the hope of Jesus that was hidden for ages and generations. That hope of glory is in you, and it can be shown through your suffering. See, God uses suffering to shape us, and he uses it to share the gospel. A verse that really connects with this is in in Romans 5, 3 through 5. I'm going to read this to you. It says this, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we can see that God wants to do something in us as we're experiencing suffering. And God wants to use our suffering to continue to be glorified. A life of avoiding suffering is really just a life of anxiety. I want you to think about that for a second. I'm somebody who used to be really anxious because I believe that the number one thing that I should be fighting for in life is comfort. I should be entertained. I should be comfortable. My life should be easy as much as possible. And so what what would start to happen is I knew hard things were going to happen. I knew that I was going to experience suffering at some time, but I'm thinking about it all the time, and I'm just waiting for that next moment to happen. And maybe that's you. So instead of embracing our suffering and learning from it and growing from it, and producing more character, maybe you're just anxious trying to avoid it. And at that point, we don't grow. I want to share a little bit about one of the hardest seasons of my life. It was my last semester in graduate school, and maybe some of you have experienced a similar season. I was taking four late classes. I was coaching basketball at the time. I was teaching a class at BGSU. I was doing ministry, and I was interning at a local high school for 40 hours a week. So my schedule was really packed. And it was tough. It was really hard. And to make it even worse, my supervisor and I did not get along. 
we had totally different visions and philosophies of how school counseling should be done. And so it just didn't, it wasn't a great situation for either of us. And I started to become really anxious because I'm, I feel like I'm dropping the ball in every area of my life. I'm overscheduled. I just got married. I got married January 5th of 2019. To put, to put everything on top of that, I got married in the midst of this. And I'm trying to figure out how to be a husband. I'm trying to figure out how to be a school counselor. And I'm going through my 30th identity crisis about what career I should do. At this point, I'm not even sure if I want to be a school counselor. I'm going through this tough season. I'm full of anxiety. And I drive into school one day, and I park in my normal spot. And I'm so full of anxiety, I can't move. And I've got some options right here. My first thought, maybe if I just start drinking caffeine, I can figure this out. I'm not somebody who drinks caffeine. It gives me heart palpitations. But I'm like, maybe, maybe that would work. And I'm like, I can't do that. Maybe I'll quit school. Maybe that would help. And then I've, I felt the Lord meet me in that. He said, what if we press in and we see what I'm trying to teach you through this? And I decided maybe that's the route I should go. So I pressed in. I started praying. And I was, I was praying throughout my days as I was at school. And I learned a few things. And God taught me through this time. I learned that I need to set better boundaries with myself. I learned that I need to be somebody who can say no sometimes. And I learned that not everybody's going to like me, and that's okay. I was a, a chronic people pleaser, and I just could not figure out why my supervisor and I couldn't get along. I tried everything. See, God used that time to, to shape some character in me. And through that, I got to share my experiences as I was doing ministry on campus still. And I can see years later how God had used that hard season of suffering to build up in me some character and to teach me and shape me. Not even to mention the real suffering that actually happened was my wife being married to me for that first six months. <laughs> and we're actually expecting a child soon in the next four weeks. Take a look at this picture of us. Yeah, thank you. She was the one singing here if you didn't pick up on that. We're excited. The, the picture, so in 2019, that's in March. That was when I was in the midst of my fully anxious season. Everything was hard. You can tell which are good and bad seasons for me because my good seasons, you'll notice on my laptop, I keep a whole thing of pictures, and there's not a lot of pictures from that year, let me tell you. This is one of the few ones. And then this was us during Christmas. So it's been four years of marriage, and we're excited to bring our first child into this world. And that's going to bring a whole new experience of suffering and sacrifice in my life. Pray for me. <laughs> but see, this is the ultimate paradox of Christianity. Finding joy in our suffering, finding joy in our sacrifice, and finding joy in our self-denial. God wants to do something with you through that. Romans 12.1 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. If you really want to worship God, it's to step into suffering and embrace living sacrificially. See, when we embrace suffering, God produces greater character in us, and we living sacrificially are worshiping God, and the world is going to get to see that. Let's dive back into the text. We're in verse 28 right here. Paul says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Point two is this. We mature as we multiply our lives. 
So we begin to mature as we multiply our lives. And Paul points out three action steps in this mission and growing in spiritual maturity. And you can underline these. It's proclaim, admonish, and teach. We're going to go through each of these and see what it might look like to practice that and see what temptations we face to not do it or why we would avoid it. So he says this really emphatically. You got to remember that there's some competing spirituality that was coming and mixing into the church. Paul says it like this. He is the one we proclaim. He's making it really clear. It's not all the other stuff. It's just Jesus. That word proclaim, it means to publicly announce. A quote I like to come back to is this from St. Francis. He says, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. There's something to that that makes sense, but it misses the mark just by a little bit. Paul says in Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in, in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? We must proclaim the name of Jesus. We must proclaim the gospel so that people can receive it. And now there's temptations with proclaiming. The two are pride and fear. And maybe you've been, been at either side of the spectrum. The pride for us is, is proclaiming ourselves. Sometimes we want to say, I figured it out, man. I figured out how to do this life. You should listen to me. And we proclaim ourselves. That can be more attention-seeking. And for some of us, it's just fear, and we end up proclaiming nothing. We keep, we keep that mystery of the gospel hidden, even though it wants to be revealed through you. And how do we fight this temptation? Simply just need to pray for a humble heart, and we need to step into boldness and pray for opportunities to share the gospel with people. You likely know someone who doesn't know Jesus who would love to hear about it. As I mentioned, the majority of America is spiritually curious, or at least interested in spirituality and wanting to talk about it. You'd be shocked. Then there's this word admonish. Admonish means to express warning or disapproval, especially in a gentle, earnest, or solicitous manner. Another way I heard it worded was truth gently spoken into a difficult circumstance. It's telling the truth in love is what it is. And I would say it like this, telling the truth to people is loving. I mean, how often do we wish somebody just would have told us something, told the truth to us so that we could have avoided a mistake? A mistake. That's hard to do. Sometimes we believe, believe a lie and, and we let someone sit in their lie. Sometimes we need to warn someone of their sin. They might not know that what they're doing is harming them or harming someone else. That's admonishment. On a lower level, it's just helping each other grow. Recently, one of my co-leaders called me after having led a life group, and he just asked, hey, how do you think last night went? I want some feedback. I want to hear from you and see if there's any areas of my life that I need to improve. And you know, I was actually planning on calling him because there was a few things that I wanted to share with him of things that he could have changed. And you know, I shared those few things with him, and it was a harder conversation because I'm telling him he's doing things wrong, right? But he received it with a humble heart and thanked me. And I did it in such a as gentle way as I possibly can. And he received it. And that's what admonishment can look like. It's when we're humble and open to feedback, but when we're open and humble and bold enough to give feedback as well. And I don't know about you, but I want friends who are open to giving me fat feedback and who are open to receiving it. 
The temptations with admonishment are simple. It's, it's the temptation to be too harsh or to people please. If we're too harsh, we neglect to be gentle. We might be giving constructive feedback that, that could be helpful, but it's hard to receive it if we're being talked down to or being put to shame. And then on the other side of it, people pleasing, we might neglect to admonish at all because we just don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to upset somebody. But sometimes our best growth can come when someone admonishes us. So fight the temptation, step into hard conversations, and pray that God would make you gentle in the way that you speak to, to that person. And then Paul goes on to explain teaching. He says, teaching with all wisdom. Teaching as defined is ideas or principles taught by an authority. And Paul adds with all wisdom, which I think is perfect, because the with all wisdom that he's talking about is Jesus. So he's saying, teach with Jesus as your authority. And where do we hear about Jesus? It's, it's in the scriptures. So it's connecting with God and, and understanding what Jesus taught. So Jesus teaches us, and then we teach others. See, there's a lot that you guys can do in college for my college students are here. There's a lot you can do, but God wants to continue to teach you. So we're learning about different things in college, but God wants to teach you something. And even if you're years out of college or you never even went, God still wants to teach you. See, Christians are supposed to be lifelong learners, and I believe in that wholeheartedly. So I, the question I have for you here is, do you make room for God to teach you? Do you spend time in his word? Do you spend time in silence? Do you spend time in solitude? And do you ask that question to other Christians? What has God been teaching you? You'd be amazed at how many things just in this room God has taught all of us that we have that we can teach others. That's part of being the greater body of Christ. And that's one of my favorite questions to be asked, and that's one of my favorite questions to ask guys that I'm discipling. What has God been teaching you? Now, there's a couple temptations with teaching, too. There's the temptation to be prideful and focus on our experiences and say that I've got this figured out. You should listen to me. The way I live my life is exactly what you should do. It's experience-centered, and it's leaning on our own understanding. Or you might be on the other camp where you feel shame. And you think, I'm not qualified to teach anybody. And you totally neglect to teach anybody anything God has taught you. See, if you're walking with Jesus, God is teaching you. And you have something that you can share with others. So fight this temptation. Be in the word, build rhythms, and share what God has been teaching you with others. And Paul says the function of those three things is so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. See, the function of this ministry is to build spiritual maturity. At our church, we focus a lot on the up and an out triangle. If you've never seen this before, a picture will come up behind me. And Paul's explaining the, the three up and an outs here. It's, it's up with the Lord, so we spend time with Jesus so we can teach others. It's in with the church, so we admonish one another. And then it's out in the world. We proclaim the gospel to those who have not heard. So people in our lives, we need people in our lives who are outside of the church to proclaim to. We need people inside of the church who we can get feedback from and give feedback to. And we need time with Jesus and the scriptures, that up relationship, so that we can connect with God to have something to teach others. And Paul says this, to this end, I strenuously contend, you can highlight that if you're taking notes, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul wants so badly for this church of Colossae to be fully mature. 
He wants them to be mature. Some of the translations for the strenuously contend verbiage say, I exert all my strength, or I agonize, or I work to complete exhaustion. See, Paul is working hard through the strength that Christ works in him. The gospel is not opposed to hard work. The gospel has actually prepared you to do good works. And the question here is, are you putting in time and effort to pursue Jesus and to pursue spiritual maturity? Now, there's temptations with hard work. And I'm going to be upfront with you. I'm somebody who struggles with some of these temptations. I had mentioned it before, idolizing ease of life. Some of us just want to chase comfort. Hard work is, as it says, hard. It takes effort. Some of us just want to depend on ourselves. So sometimes we try to draw up the strength just on our own without getting our strength from Christ. And some of us might idolize our own efforts and think that earns us favor with God. To fight this temptation, we really just need to fix our eyes and our heart on the Lord and be faithful to whatever task God has given us. Sometimes it's hard to say yes to what God's calling us to do, but be faithful to the task and understand that in your suffering, in your sacrifice, God is going to meet you there and produce something in you. For me, some of you know this, one of the ways that I connect with the Lord is, is through writing music. I'm not going to sing to you, I'm not going to rap to you right now, but I recently wrote this song called, That's Not Realistic. Well, is it? And I'm wrestling with some of these lies and some of these temptations that I face, and I wanted to read a couple of these to you because they're exactly what I just I said to you. The first one is this, I want comfortability if I'm honest, but that's not realistic. Well, is it? And the second one, wishing I could earn God's love by my efforts, but that's not realistic. Well, is it? We might be tempted to believe some of these lies in our heads, some of these temptations about serving, but that's not realistic. God has designed us to do good works and to do hard work through him, through his strength. See, I can focus too, too much on how hard I'm working and how much effort I'm putting in and feeding the lie that if I just keep doing things, God's going to love me more. But that's not true. That's not realistic. That song's dropping in December. <laughs> Back in the scriptures, he says this, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined and how firm your faith in Christ is." Point three is this, spiritual maturity protects us from deception. Spiritual maturity protects us from deception. So this ties back to all the deceptions that were happening in the Colossian church, all of these competing ideas. There were many false teachers that were trying to get into the Colossian church. There were some that, that claimed to have higher access to knowledge through spiritual beings, there were some that said that Jesus, along with the other gods, is the proper way to worship God. And then there were other followers of Jesus who said that you needed to complete the Torah and observing the laws of the Torah to be a real follower of Jesus. These were all false teachings 
of the church at the time. It's Christ and Christ alone. The saying goes that experts in counterfeits don't spend any time studying counterfeits. They spend time studying the real currency so that they can quickly identify a counterfeit. It's the same way with us. If we study the word of God, we can quickly identify what's a counterfeit because it doesn't align with this teaching that Christ is supreme. So Paul gives his goals of the ministry of proclamation, admonishing, and teaching right here. There's three of them. He wants us to be encouraged in heart by receiving and being reminded of the gospel. He wants us to be united in love through our commitment to each other through the gospel and to have the full riches of understanding from studying the scriptures and teaching one another. That's the goal here. And it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this word hidden doesn't mean that it's concealed. It means that it's laid up. It's stored like a treasure. Think about that. It's like that treasure chest or that trunk that you have in your room that you can open. The lock is not sealed. We just have to reveal it. He adds his delight to the mature character by saying that they're disciplined and firm, which just means that they're consistent and they're rooted in Christ. And that's really military language that Paul is using because he's ensuing that there's this spiritual attack going on in the Colossian church with these false teachings. So he tells them all of this so they're not deceived by any fine-sounding arguments. As I look around at our culture, there's a lot of people who are good at public speaking, There's a lot of charismatic people out there. You know, those people who just, whatever they say, it just sounds good. They could be talking about anything. And just because they have the golden tongue, it sounds like it hits. Maybe these are your influencers, your philosophers, your government leaders, professors. We have all of these competing voices that are fighting for our allegiance. Not even just our attention, but our allegiance If you ever watch a YouTube video, they're always telling you to subscribe, right? Subscribe to my channel. They want you in. They want you tuned in. And I pose this question to you. Are you somebody who's a victim to charismatic and persuasive communicators? Are you somebody that just gets drawn in by the way someone's talking to you and not by the truth that they're sharing? I've got an interesting example of this. There's this new Netflix documentary out called The Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker. There's this guy named Kai who went viral in 2013. About 5% of you might remember this story. What happened was Kai was hitchhiking, and he was with this guy who ran off the road, hit somebody, got out of his car, and attacked a woman. Kai magically had a hatchet in his backpack, pulls that thing out, and he attacks this man, saving this woman. And almost immediately, Kai's interviewed, and he's recounting the story, and he's got this really charismatic personality. People just want to be around him. It's it's like the way he's telling the story, you don't even realize that he hit someone over the head with a hatchet. The way he's describing the story, he even says, I went up to the guy, I took the hatchet, and smash, smash, smash. He's telling the story, and, and we laugh at it. It sounds funny, but he's literally describing hitting a guy over the head with a hatchet. But the way he's saying it is so charismatic. And he became an internet sensation overnight. He was on Jimmy Kimmel within a week. He was getting interviewed to potentially have his own reality TV show. And he was going viral. And at the time, 
Social media was newer, but everybody wanted a piece of Kai. And so there were people posting pictures all over the place because he's hitchhiking all over California. People are posting pictures with him. He's going to bars, hanging out with people. He's playing shows. He's getting to know people. And then three months later, the dude is in jail for murder. Think about this. He was staying with random people who just wanted to hang out with Kai because he looked cool and he sounded good. He sounded like a charismatic guy, and he ends up murdering one of the people that he stayed the night with. I say all that to ask the question, what voices are you let leading you? Are you somebody who just gets caught up in the charisma, gets caught up in the excitement, or just the way that someone speaks? Even today, if you think I'm doing a good job, I still want you to go to the scriptures and see if you think what I'm saying is true. I want you to look at the scriptures. I don't want you to listen to just my voice. What voices are you giving permission to lead you spiritually? There's the famous quote, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. What about our relationships, our books, our podcasts, our movies, our screen time? Show me that and I can show you your future. And listen, I'm not saying that watching movies or reading books is a bad thing. I know some of you aren't going to a Disney movie to try and, try and find your theology. I know you're not doing that. But really think about where am I going to, to get instruction on how to live my life, on what to believe, on who I should listen to. Where are you going to get that instruction? So if you're someone who's spiritually curious, is the spirituality that you're pursuing, is it true? Is it correct? Is it leading you closer to Jesus? Is that something that you've looked into? If you've been walking with Jesus, are you living out the ministry that Paul has outlined in verse 28? Is there someone that you need to share the gospel with? Is there a friend that you need to admonish? Is there something that God's taught you that you just need to teach someone else? And if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, ditto all those questions I just asked, but also have you embraced rejoicing and suffering? Are you multiplying your life? And are you knowing the full character of God? I'll bring us back to the big idea before I pray. Spiritual maturity only comes from having Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King. The loudest voice in your life should be Jesus. Let's pray.